Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. We are here for another Blue Gold Report podcast. I am Mike Rags, going to bring in Todd Burlidge from Blue Gold Illustrated in a second. I want to remind you, we're brought to you by D.O. McComb and Son Funeral Homes. And if you found us via podcast, you always have to rate and review us. And you found us on Saturday mornings in Fort Wayne on ESPN Radio 1380 and 100.9 FM. Welcome aboard. And we've got a lot to break down from that Blue Gold game that happened last Saturday. I don't know. I, I might be being a little facetious when I say a lot to break down, but there are some things that we might have learned from that uh, especially from the quarterback position and I know Todd is going to rave about a wide receiver here in just a bit too we'll talk some women's basketball Uh, you know last week we brought up the fact hey uh, we might be a little worried here we just lost our starting five they all went to the WNBA well it looks like Muffet might have landed a nice recruit. So without further ado, let's bring him in here. Todd, it wasn't a beautiful day, but I, you know, I always enjoy how people get all jazzed up and get really into that, uh, that football game that really isn't a football game. Yeah, it wasn't too bad, Rags. Actually, a little breezy out there, but uh, 30,074 folks showed up to Notre Dame Stadium to watch the defense. Uh, the gold defense beat the Notre Dame blue offense 58-45, kind of contradictory when you're talking about a defensive victory uh, in a 58-45 game for sure. Uh, the rules were such that you know you got points for sacks and three and outs and all kinds of stuff. It was a little bit convoluted, but we knew that would be coming in. Um, we're going to talk about quarterbacks up the line here. One was really good, one was really bad. Um, and, and a couple players that stood out to me as we move forward here. But, Rags, I got a big old eight-pack of nuggets that we what? probably should dive into. Eight nuggets? And I think, how many you come in a, I don't know if you can get eight nuggets at McDonald's, can you? I think you got to go six or 12 <laughs> or six or ten. But we're going to get eight. Uh, Todd Todd always breaks down some little nuggets, is like we, was what we call them, blue gold nuggets. All right, what do you got? And I know uh, there's a, a sad death in one of them, too, because I was, as a Nick fan, um, grew up, remember John McLeod, too. So it, it kind of sucked that he passed away this past week. Yeah, for sure. So we you let me in. We'll start right there. John McLeod, the, the long time. I didn't realize he was su- such a successful coach for the Phoenix Suns. Sure. Because really it was kind of, you know, mix, uh, miss and hit and miss here at Notre Dame. Uh, he coached the Irish from 91 to 99. He died uh, this past week. Uh, his son, Matt, confirmed that to the Associated Press originally. Uh, Matt actually played for John mm-hmm. McLeod the last two years here uh, at Notre Dame. Uh, McLeod had 106 victories here in eight seasons on the bench. Um, he was the one. He was the coach rags when Notre Dame moved from Independence to the Big East. Uh, he actually won a Big East Coach of the Year. Uh, it was a rather, a, I don't know, he was 16-14 and 14 that year, so I was a little bit concerned, con- confused on how he's Coach of the Year. But anyhow, it's neither here nor there. Um, McLeod, I mean, one thing McLeod could do is he could really recruit. I mean, he coached and recruited Matt Carroll, LaFonso Ellis, Pat Garrity, Troy Murphy, Monty Williams. So you're talking about a star-studded cast there uh, that McLeod brought in. I'd mentioned the Phoenix Suns, my word. He was 579 uh, and 543. Uh, coached there from 73 to 87. Uh, took him to the finals one time. So, yeah, the passing of John McLeod, Alzheimer's ultimately claimed his life, and he was 81 years old. More troubling news on the Sierra Wood front here. Um, he's been held. He's being held now. Him and his girlfriend without bond. And KSNV TV reported this past week that one of the things. Uh, let me back up a little bit here, Rags. This stems from the five-year-old 
being killed in Woods and his girlfriend's custody. Um, and the autopsy and coroner reported that it is indeed murder one. Um, she was basically beaten to death. It's a sad, sad story. Um, but the Las Vegas TV station that I mentioned reported that he would routinely put her through calisthenics, uh, make her run sprints in the apartment, do all kinds of crazy stuff because he felt like she was chunky. Um, so more troubling news there on the Sierra Wood front. Being held without bond, I have a pretty good feeling that he has seen the light of day for the last time. Uh, during the spring game, kickoff times were announced for all the home games, and it kind of threw everybody by surprise a little bit, Rags. Only one prime time game this year at home. Um, that is going to be the USC game. That's the only prime time game. That'll be a 7.30 start. The, and there's only two 3.30 starts, Rags. That's what kind of surprised everybody. Virginia and Bowling Green. Virginia's on September 28th and Bowling Green on October 5th. The rest of them, they moved back to 2.30, uh, all 2.30 starts. And I don't really know what the motivation behind that was because, frankly, if you start at 2.30, what you're doing is you're sort of trying to butt up against the noon games that are getting ready to conclude. Mainly those are Big Ten games, so it's not a huge uh, conflict there. But at the same time, at the 3.30 start sort of put him in line with everybody else, and I was surprised they moved that. Not sure why they did that. And, of course, all of those games will be... Uh, all those uh, games will be telecast on NBC. We know that for sure. The Leprechaun was unveiled, shall we say, or awarded this week. And for the first time in Notre Dame history, it's going to be a woman. The Leprechaun will be a woman, Lynette Wookie, W-U-K-I-E. <laughs> she will be a junior this fall, and she will be one of three Leprechauns. Um, she is a major in film, television, and theater at Notre Dame. She was the captain on her cheerleading and dance team. Uh, in Grafton, Ohio, and in her video with her application, she says, who says the fighting Irish can't fight like a girl? So she, uh, good for her. You know, a little bit of a groundbreaking news there. Um, and she will join senior-to-be Samuel Jackson and junior-to-be Conal Fagan uh, as the three Lepcons this year for good. So good for her. And on the trans football front, Noah Boykin, the seldom-used, buried-in-the-depth-chart cornerback, he is out of here, first reported by Irish Illustrated. Actually, that just came out this morning. Um, he just was not even in spring plans. And with, with uh, you know, there's guys coming back. Dante Vaughn will fully recover from his shoulder surgery, so he'll be back in the mix. Boykin wasn't going to play. Uh, he's been passed by even classmates Tariq Bracey, Houston Griffith. There was no room. And this was a crowded class of cornerbacks on this team. He kind of knew somebody was going to transfer Looks like Noah Boykin it is. The funny thing about Boykin Rags is that he was Notre Dame's super surprise recruit in 2018. They weren't even ex- they weren't expecting to get him. He was all committed to Maryland. And then on signing day, out of nowhere, he went ahead and committed to Notre Dame. I think it even took the coaches aback a little bit. So that was kind of interesting. We talked about Javon McKinley, the wide receiver who punched a couple cops after he fell asleep in an Uber car, underage drinking. <laughs> Looks like all those charges will be dropped because he's going to enter a pretrial diversion program. If he can keep his stuff clean for a year, he's going to be fine and dandy. And he actually played in the spring game. They targeted him a couple times. I don't think he had any production, though. Cale Morris, senior-to-be goaltender for Notre Dame. He, indeed, will be a senior-to-be. He's returning for that senior season. A lot of these hockey guys actually leave early, but he is not going to. He's coming back. Uh, Morris, you remember, two years ago, uh, was uh, named the Mike Richter Award winner as the nation's top goaltender. Had another great year this year. He was a semifinalist in that Richter Award. Uh, he's he's help, helped the Irish to back-to-back Big Ten tournament champions uh, championships in three seasons, including the last two. 
He's only given up 2.07 goals a game and has a 938 save percentage, which is number one all-time in Notre Dame history. And here's my favorite nugget, last but not least. Pat Connaughton, you've been tracking this? Sure. Milwaukee Bucks? How about that? How about the job he's doing, man? Yeah, and he might end up in the NBA Finals when all's said and done here. That team looks really good, don't yeah. Rags. Yeah. Yep. Game one, 121-86 win over the Detroit Pistons. Ten points, eight rebounds, one assist, one block in 28 minutes. Okay, all career highs for a playoff game. Well, you know, whatever. That's nothing. Game two, 120-99 bucks win. 18 points on 8 of 10 shooting, 9 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 blocks in 31 minutes. Rags, I want to share this real quick because when the Bucks in December, early December of last year, traded for George Hill, the veteran, Pat sat the bench. He was a coach's decision, did not play, and I was ticked because I, I text with him fairly, fairly frequently. And uh, he was playing well, I thought, but then they traded for George Hill and he was benched. And I sent him this, this text. I said, I'm canceling my NBA ticket subscription. <laughs> this is bull, you know what? Merry Christmas, PC. And he said, you and me both. <laughs> It'll come back around, and I'll be ready. Merry Christmas to you as well, Todd. Okay, well, I sent him, I re-texted him that, that uh, Merry Christmas thing that I sent him. And I said, I guess you weren't kidding about when your time came back around, you'd be ready. And he texted back, ha-ha, no, sir, I was not. So good for Pat, good for the Bucks, and uh, he's just a good guy. And he's a good friend of the show, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, let's make sure he doesn't go big time on us if he does make the NBA Finals. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, he's one of those guys that he, he always keeps coming back around. Just when you think he he's he, he can't make, oh, he's not going to make it in the NBA. He's carved out a little nifty little career so far with both the Blazers and the Bucks, and and maybe uh, finally has found a niche where he's going to get some uh, countrywide recognition. Rags and his coach tweeted out that he thinks he's the best forward on the team. That's awesome. Uh, with a uh, with a jump hook, uh, the the coach I can't I can't think of the guy's name, but uh, the the Bucks coach loves him. So maybe he's carved his niche right here because he is doing a great job. It seems to be a great fit for him. He's getting more and more minutes seemingly every week. And he's making good on him. I'm really proud of him. He's again, he's just a really good guy. That's Mike Boldenholzer. By the way, um, the 2:30 starts. I wonder if that's to thwart any of you know. They like, well, we went to 3:30. These maniac tailgaters. Let's give them one less hour to be maniacs. I I don't know. And then you get more daytime. You know, like with the weather being the way it is. Yeah. You know, maybe they just want to play as many as much of the game in the day as possible. I don't know. Just, but you're right. It is a little off-putting because you watch, you go through these tailgates, and a lot of the people are watching those 12 o'clock games and getting ready. And when those 12 o'clock games are done, that means we got to get up and get yeah. going. That kind of stuff. So uh, it is interesting that they are butting into that other stuff. But they're Notre Dame. They can do whatever they want. We know. That. You wonder, Rags. Maybe, and and you just made a good point that. I I hadn't thought of. Maybe it does have something. Maybe it's as maniacal as what it is. Maniacal is what it is. Maybe the team's built better to start an hour earlier. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Does it go into that, or yeah. is it all NBC's call? I just don't know. Or is it the campus's call? And like, you know what? Remember when the games were at noon and these people would be out of here by five, and now <laughs> right. they're here all freaking day. So well, they could you know, only, yeah. Only the one primetime game. I think there were three last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, all right, well, let's talk about this football team and delve a little bit more into this spring game. Uh, one quarterback looked good, as you said. One uh, really a head-scratcher there. And uh, one wide receiver who really kind of uh, was head and shoulders above the class, it seems like. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, let me just kind of give you some basics. I talked about that scoring system with the 5845. It was sort of interesting because, again, don't read. I, I warned everybody ahead of time, and there's one journalist that's going to be on this audio clip who, di- who didn't listen to our show. He didn't get the warning not to read a whole bunch into the blue-gold game. And, oh, boy. Uh, I left him on there because it's kind of funny. Um, but actually, the Notre Dame offense played very well and very efficiently Basically, the first teamers in the first half of this game, uh, building up 45 points, actually led the defense 45-35. Now, the defense ended up, once those guys were removed from the game, scoring 27 straight points, and that's how they were able to make this big comeback. Again, score doesn't really matter. Um, But I thought Ian Book played well. Um, Obviously, I mentioned Chase Claypool, or you you, kind of hinted at Chase Claypool. He had a great game. But here's Brian Kelly just kind of talking about the general feel that he took away from this game. And again, in the middle of this is pretty funny because keep in mind, the Notre Dame offense was indeed shut out in the second half. And that is huge cause for concern. Most of those points were scored, you know, when we had made a bunch of substitutions. Um, I, I think that uh, the offense was efficient when our first group was in there. Um, and then when our second group was in there, we weren't quite as efficient. I think it was pretty, you know, pretty easy to, to, to evaluate it. Um, I really like, you know, the pieces that are coming together offensively. Um, we can throw it, we can run it. The quarterback is really good. Uh, we've got explosive playmakers, and the offensive line is, is going to be a really good unit. So all the pieces are there. You know, we got more work to do. So you're not worried about the offense being shut out in the second half? Obviously, it's a huge storyline here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> now that you put it that way, uh, I might not get any sleep. Um, no. I mean, I, I think, again, we were, we were much more interested in not playing, you know, um, key players in the second half, which we didn't. Um, and, again, I think we have to develop um, – you know, depth at certain positions. So if there's anything that I'm concerned about, um, I'll, I'll need to look at some film. But we have to continue to build our second unit and offensively and defensively. It, it, it's a funny line at the end there. You're right. Um, but interesting, in all that, his one sentence on the quarterback really stood out to me. And it, it, it sounded like he was confident in saying it, too. Is we've got, you know, he's really good. And I, I that, all the the whole clip... Kind of stood out to me because he one thing Brian Kelly never really has done, and we've been critical of it, has instilled confidence in quarterbacks. And this time it seemed like early on, don't get me wrong, but he seemed really confident in that statement. Yeah, and, and, and Ian Book was great. And I was actually almost used a Clark Lee clip for the show where he was talking about Book's sort of quiet leadership style. He's not a, uh, he's not a vocal leader. And he, when he compared him to Phil Jerkovic, he basically said, well, uh, Ian Book is a in advanced trigonometry. Meanwhile, advanced calculus, I think he said. Right. Meanwhile, Phil is on starting algebra. So let me run down a few players of the game, and we'll look a little bit more in, into this quarterback thing because there were some really interesting clips that, uh, that Brian Kelly had to say. But I mentioned Ian Book, 16 to 21. Uh, passing efficient. A lot of people were griping that he was still dinking and dunking too much. I didn't really see it. He had that forty-three yarder to Chase Claypool. That was a very impressive throw, kind of an over the over the, folder, over the shoulder throw and catch. Uh, he did have a twelve-yard touchdown. 
to Michael Young. That was the only touchdown pass of the game. Had a rushing touchdown, no picks, 220 yards, not too bad. The running backs I thought were solid. Jafar Armstrong, 85, because of their dual threat, what they did uh, as dual threat players. Jafar Armstrong, 85 rushing yards. That's only nine attempts. 71 receiving yards on four catches, so that's efficient as it gets. Uh, what is that? 156 yards from scrimmage with a touchdown. Good stuff there. Jameer Smith, 56 rushing yards on eight attempts, 37 receiving yards on three catches with two touchdowns. Chase Claypool, he just looks like a beast out there, Rags. He he could be a real dominant receiver. I, far, I firmly believe that. 92 yards on four catches, had that long of 43. I mentioned Michael Young, 30 yards, three catches, one touchdown. Um, his long catch was the 12-yard touchdown. Defensively, Paul, the local kid here, uh, Penn High School, Paul Maola, uh, nine tackles, eight of them solo, a couple sacks, a couple tackles for loss. Uh, don't read too much into those sacks because, again, they're touch sacks. Uh, Derek Allen uh, had seven tackles, three solo tackles. Uh, Khalid Kareem, four tackles, three sacks. I think the game was dominated by these two ends, Khalid Kareem uh, and uh uh, uh, Julian O'Quara, and then Jalen Elliott, six tackles, one forced fumble. That was a heck of a play. But I want to back up a little bit to Brian Kelly's take on Ian Book. He was very efficient. I believe he was six of six on the opening drive, a touchdown drive. Really seemed poisoned in the pocket. And Brian Kelly likes what he sees in sort of the things he wanted Ian Book to look to, to work towards, to get better at. And Brian Kelly feels like he saw that throughout the spring. And it was very, high, very much highlighted by that 12-yard touchdown pass to Michael Young. Yeah, I thought his first, you know, drive was clean and it was efficient. He moved the ball around to a uh, a number of different receivers. Um, I thought he had complete control of our offense, and and so my sense was complete control of what he was doing and um, was very assertive. Uh, I think what I liked the most was. You know, some of the things that he struggled last year with was getting lost in the pocket and, and lost meaning taking himself out of throws. The touchdown throw um, that he made um, was indicative of the progress that he's made this spring where he slid, uh, bought time in the pocket, and, and was able to hit my coming in the back of the end zone. Um, those are the kind of throws that separate um, – good players from great players. And, and I've had some great quarterbacks in the red zone. That's what you're required to do, and I thought he did it. What I want to know is, in a game of two-hand touch with a quarterback, how do you score a rushing touchdown? What, what, what's the defensive line doing there? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was, actually. You know what? And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Rags, because it's it's a great point. He he was very much elusive, and uh, and you know all you have to do is touch him to sack him, and yet... He was able to avoid some of that, and it, it was impressive. I, I knew he was nimble. We saw it a lot of last season. But at the same time, when you're talking about this format here, uh, to be able to get through some holes and do some different things, I thought was impressive as well. I'm glad you brought that up. Now, on the other side, oh boy. <laughs> what the hell happened to Phil? It's not, Phil seems like a bit of a head case. Oh boy. And Brian Kelly's clip will sort of uh, illustrate that. Um. What are the numbers here? They sure as heck weren't very do we, good. Do we want to hear them? <laughs> yeah, he was 15 of 26 for 135 yards, no touchdowns, didn't have any uh, didn't have any interceptions. Now, he was sacked 12 of the 15 times, okay? That's not good. Uh, so Ian Book was only sacked, quote-unquote, um, three times. So his official rushing total for Phil was a 71, uh, minus 71 yards, uh, not too shabby. 
Uh, now, the, he, he was playing behind the number 2 offensive line, sure. and that was just getting destroyed by Aquara and Kareem. So uh, you can't put all of it on him. But again, 15-26, to 26, only 135 yards. His long pass was 27 yards. Braggs, here's my issue, okay? Brian, Ke- You know what? Let's play the Brian Kelly clip here, and then I'll take us out of it um, because I, I, I want to rant a little bit. So let's pop in Brian Kelly talking about where Phil uh, Jerkovic, his head is. Quarterback is a position where everybody wants to see, you know, them, you know, ascend to this position immediately, and and um, he he's he's like that as well. You know, he wants to see it happen, but it's it, it's got to take some time for him, and he's got to understand that too. He's pushing himself a little bit too hard. He's a little too hard on himself. Uh, you can see that I'm out there with him. Um, he's got too much going on right now. He just needs to get the ball out of his hands and make it simpler. The game's a little too hard for him right now, and you can see. He never played like that in high school. He made it simple, and he's making this game way too hard, and it'll come. It'll, he'll, he'll wake up one day, and it'll, it'll be a lot simpler for him. Right now it's hard, and we'll, we'll, we'll get him to the point where it's simpler. Well, to me, that's music to my ears because you know me. The last thing I want come August is to hear the other quarterback's pretty good too. <laughs> so yeah. the more one's ascending and one's not, for me, means uh, Ian Book gets to play 12 games. It's frustrating to me, though, at the same time, Rags, when you're looking at young quarterbacks all over the country. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson is the first one that comes to mind that just step right in, learn the system, get the system, and excel right out of the gate. I mean, this is this Jerkovic. This is his second year in the system now, and it doesn't seem like you know. I mean, they're trying to spin it where he's learning and getting better. Maybe too much of this goes on him. Maybe, like I said, maybe he's a bit of a a head case and too much of a rush because he was such a, a highly touted recruit coming out of high school. But it just concerns me, the development of these quarterbacks. And I don't disagree with your take. It looks, at least it looks like book is the man. And then, uh, you know, Jerkovic, it will be the distant second uh, backup here. But at the same time, it bothers me a little bit. Yeah, and one you know, do, you, you bring up a good point, too, because if one thing we learned over the last two seasons, you know, with the likes of Kyler Murray and Lawrence, Mm-hmm. And it's good to have that backup that's ready to go right away. Yeah. And those two teams that have won national championships had that quarterback that was ready to go right away. Yeah, absolutely. That's truly the case. And we and we see it more and more throughout college football. I mean, you're seeing seniors get benched for freshmen sure. and, and, and whatnot. And these guys are coming right in. And I don't know what it is that seems to stall the development of Notre Dame quarterbacks. And even when they sort of make it looks like they hit their stride, then they come back the next year and they sort of regress. Just a couple of just a couple of notes that I, I forgot to hit on. You know, if you remember, you were asking me last week what my what one of the storylines I really wanted to follow was. I said offensively, I want to see these speed receivers, um, these speed guys that are going to play opposite of Chase Claypool. That's Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keys, Brayden Lindsey, and Joe Wilkins, um, and then uh, Micah Jones as well. Well, these guys. Combined for seven catches for 57 yards. So didn't do a whole heck of a lot. That's going to still be something to watch because that's going to be a position that needs to be developed. But uh, I don't know. Jerkovic, I I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to be a great player. I hope he's just not a head case and that this is going to be tough to overcome for him as he tries to learn this offense. It sounds indeed like he's putting uh, too much on himself. 
And the great ones, Rags, you know, the great ones, it just comes easy for them, and they don't overthink things. Game slows down for them. There's no doubt about it. All right, uh, well, let's tell – we don't have a lot of time left, but let's break down uh, the women's uh, basketball situation. Uh, Muffet McGraw, the, the, you know, we were worried. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be worried because she is good at her job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, they, yeah, obviously replacing your starting five, the best starting five in the history of all of college basketball, men's and women's, when it comes to production, point production. Um, she is working fast and furiously to uh, replace those girls. It started earlier this week with a transfer from North Carolina, a gal by the name of Destiny Walker. She's a five foot ten guard. Um, her big moments at North Carolina came during her first two seasons. Over those first two seasons, she averaged 13.3 points. Um, and, and what was it? I, I'm sorry. Yeah, 13.3 points. So not too shabby there. Her frosh year, her freshman year was her best. 13.9 points, 3.7 boards, 2.5 assists. Played almost the entire game, 37 minutes. And she earned ACC All-Freshman honors. Was kind of on that same trajectory. I can't speak today. Trajectory. Thank you. On that same pace as a sophomore, but she missed the last 10 games because of injuries. She's been off injured since then, and uh, she's actually graduated. She's a fine student, so she will, this will be a graduate transfer situation here, but she can apply for that hardship year and absolutely have two years of eligibility remaining here at Notre Dame. She was a great one out of high school. Um, she uh, was an academic All-American out of high school as well as a McDonald's basketball Academic, and she's out of Orlando, Florida. And then Muffet went on to add to that. Uh, actually, let me let me back up. Yeah, okay. So then Muffet went on. Nat Marshall, a class of 2020 recruit. She's a five star girl. She committed to Notre Dame. She's from Christ the King High School, right there in New York City. Yep. She's six foot five, averaged 13.4 points, 7.2 rebounds, and 4.1 blocks. Uh, ESPNW calls her the number two forward in the country. Imagine that, Muffet landing and the number 12 player all uh, all around. Notre Dame also in this particular 2020 class has 5'11 guard Allie Campbell, who is rated as the number 24 player overall. So Muffet rebuilding quickly as she needs to. And she was on CBS this morning this week, Rags. I missed that. Gen, uh, I, I, it, it surprised me. It was just on. Um, I was just tooling around kind of trying to get the kids off to school. And she came on and talked about gender equality and those of types of things, of course. And I did. she wouldn't answer the question from Gail King about what her real birth name is. Oh. Obviously, it's not Muffet. So I did a little research. I think it's Anne. I, don't, I can't confirm that. I can't confirm or deny that. I but, wonder uh, what kind of research you did. Would you Google it? <laughs> I did. <laughs> My my research took me all of ten you know, seconds, and she's on a lot of shows. We got to get her on the podcast. She's such a lovely lady, and she did so. And now's the time to try to get her because she is just awesome. I will try to get her for next show, Rags. You, you, you now that things have kind of died down for her a little bit, I'll see what I can do. I'll uh, I'll dial Josh up, and uh, she does need to come on here. I totally agree. Uh, and uh, good segue there, because speaking of next show, Todd and I will be off next week. Um, I, I have a little uh, wedding I got to go to in New York City, and it's actually on Friday, so uh, I've got to do Christ the King. It is not a Christ the King, but I do have cousins that uh, will be at the wedding that went to Christ the King. So I I don't know if they've done any recruiting for the uh, women's basketball team at that. <laughs> school but i certainly will put in a couple of questions um and then we'll be back the following week uh to start things up again uh and by then i think it'll be may how about that todd 
Yeah, hard to believe, isn't it, Rex? Yeah, it's scary to think, but that's good. That means maybe we've gotten rid of all this bad weather. Todd, great job as always. Remember, D.O. McComb and Sons brings you the Blue Gold Report each and every week. And if you found us on the podcast, make sure you rate and review us and share us. Todd, we'll do it again next week, my friend. Not next week, next show, Oh, you are so smart, aren't you? This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media.